blood that cleanses us from all our sins. Now, God, we come before you today with open ears, open hearts, open minds, ready to receive your word. God, we pray that you will bless the preparation, the proclamation of this word. Use it to impact, empower the lives of your people. May you be glorified, your people blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to turn with me once again to the gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 5. We are making our way through the Beatitudes for those of you who may be joining us uh, for the first time. This is a series of sermons uh, beginning with Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain and when he was seated, his disciples came to him and then he opened his mouth and taught them. And the first attitude he taught them was blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And then third, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And today we want to uh, talk about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled and I think this uh, particular p- this passage is rightly named the Beatitudes because what Jesus is doing is he's preaching in a way to shape the attitudes of those who hear him and so the word be shows action so actually what he's saying is that um, our attitudes should be lived out and so he preaches these sermon he's preaching this sermon in an effort to shape the attitudes of his followers in hopes that we will live out these attitudes every day. And so I want to continue from our theme for these series of sermons. How's your attitude? How's your attitude? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. How's your attitude? Most of us have heard the old saying, You are what you eat, right? You've heard that, haven't you? You are what you eat. Well, certainly that statement is true as related to the impact that uh, that the foods we eat have on our physical bodies. We really are what we eat. But equally as valid uh, is the reality that we are what we eat not only physically, but we are what we eat mentally. Those things that we take into our minds, we really become that. But more importantly, as than being all, that we are all what we eat physically and we are what we eat mentally, is the reality that we are what we eat spiritually. And so the truth of the matter is uh, we really are what we eat. Well, then, such being the case, those who choose to feed on a diet of violence, of profane language, profanity, of drama, of illicit sex, uh, sex outside of the marriage, those who choose to dine on uh, pornography, those who choose to have a diet of excessive materialism, those who choose to live on a diet of gossip and bitterness and anger and frustration will eventually personify those things 
in their lives. If we choose to live on those things, eventually those things will come to fruition in our lives. There are no exceptions to the rule. That's because we are what we eat. I think we can accurately say that all of us have known people who never seem to learn this lesson. I think most of us, if not all of us, have known people who never really seem to get it that we are what we eat. We are what we eat mentally. We are what we eat physically. We are what we eat spiritually. And if we diet on junk food, then that's what we'll be. Some people never seem to learn this lesson. One such person I read about uh, earlier this week was a guy by the name of Elvis Presley. Now, the younger crowd may not know who Elvis Presley is. I encourage you to Google it uh, for what it's worth, and you'll see. But according to Kent Hughes, pastor emeritus of College Church in Wheaton, Illinois, Presley's life was a pitiful pursuit of materialism and sensuality. In Elvis's heyday, he earned between $5 million and $6 million per year. That was in his heyday. That was a, a pretty long time ago. It is estimated that he grossed $100 million in his first two years of stardom. Hughes goes on to say that Elvis had three jets, two Cadillacs, a Rolls Royce, a Lincoln Continental, a Buick, had Buick and Chrysler station wagons, a Jeep, a dune buggy, a converted bus, three motorcycles, and his favorite car was a 1960 Cadillac limousine. Sounds sort of like some televangelist I've been reading about. But anyway, the body, according to Hughes, of Elvis's Cadillac was sprayed with 40 coats of specially prepared paint that included crushed diamonds, imagine that, and fish scales, I guess for the glitter, the shine. Nearly all the trim was plated with 18-karat gold. Inside the car were two gold flake telephones, a gold vanity case containing a gold electric shaver, gold hair clippers, and don't forget about the electric shoe buffer, a gold-plated television, a record player, a younger crowd won't know what that is, explain it to them, an amplifier, a refrigerator that was capable of making ice in two minutes. That was pretty fast in those days and in the car. Elvis's lustful sensuality is legendary. His sexual exploits are legendary. 
those friends and relatives most familiar with his stardom, his star status in the last months of his life tragically revealed that Elvis had very much become the victim of his appetites. He had become what he had eaten. The tragedy of Elvis's life and many lives like him, we can read the paper, you can hear about them. But the tragedy of his life and lives, uh, many lives like his, highlights the significance of the fourth beatitude because in it, Jesus sets forth the appetite and the menu. According to Jesus, our appetite should be for righteousness. The appetite in the menu. Jesus sets forth the appetite in the menu that that produces well-being. He says, if you have this appetite and you have this menu, you will be on your way to spiritual well-being. So when Jesus spoke the words, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he was saying to the people, you will be happy. You will be joyful. You will be full of supernatural life-giving pleasure if you have an appetite that works itself out in living your life in conformity to God's will. Another way of saying it is is this. Those who long to live right, to live right, to live righteously in the eyes of God, those who have uh, insatiable appetites and unquenchable thirst to live by God's standards, not by the standards of the world, but by God's standards, not by the standards of society, but by God's standards. Those who have uh, appetites and thirst to live by God's standards, those who hunger and thirst to do God's will, not that which is politically correct, not that which is popular, not that which is always easy, but those who desire to do God's will, those who are passionate about pleasing God and and living out and fleshing out the nature and works of Jesus in every aspect of their lives, Jesus says those people will be blessed people. You will be happy people. You will be joyful people. And you will be rejoicing people because you will constantly pursue and practice holy and righteous living. 
which is diametrically opposed to what those who heard Jesus was practicing. Did you get that? Jesus says those who, who actively pursue, uh, go after, those who actively pursue and those who practice righteousness, holy living, doing life, not my way, but doing life God's way, those who practice that kind of living will receive God's supernatural joy. Like the song says, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it. The world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. Supernatural joy comes from God, and supernatural joy comes in spite of our circumstances, in spite of our situations, in spite of what we do have or don't have. That's the kind of joy Jesus is talking about. Joy that's not uh, consumed or changed. By popular opinion, by congressional decisions, but joy that is controlled by God. Aren't you grateful that there are some things that God controls himself? For example, the weather. I'm grateful to God that he controls the weather. If people could control the weather, imagine if people could control the weather. It would be too hot, too cold, too much rain, not enough rain, too much wind, not enough wind. Thank God that he controls the weather. And more importantly, thank God that he controls our joy. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus, those who pursue and practice righteousness, holiness, live in the way he calls them to live, will receive God's supernatural joy and God's supernatural satisfaction. That's what Jesus means when he says happy. Happy, that word happy, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, I like what he says. He didn't say happy are those who speak religious language but fail to live the words of their testimony. That's not what Jesus says. He didn't say happy are those who participate in sacred activities without serious commitment to Jesus Christ or his church. He did not say happy are those who go through the motions but without any concerted effort to be real with God. He did not say happy are those who seek, uh, who appear to be righteous on the outside by following the rules, religious guidelines, bylaws, even church bylaws, creeds, and regulations. No, Jesus says his joy, the joy of the Lord, real, authentic, 
authentic, genuine, bona fide, and dependable joy, God's joy, is reserved for people who hunger and thirst to live the way God wants them to live. And not only do they hunger and thirst, they live it out. They live it out. That's the reason why you see people that don't have very much of this world's goods. They are joyful. And then there are those who have plenty of these world's goods, but they live life for God. They, too, are joyful people. Now, the pursuit of righteousness in verse 6 does not represent a half-hearted craving for a bite of your favorite food. It does not equate to a lackluster longing for your next meal. No, to be sure, this analogy, uh, this comparison of hungering and thirsting uh, is used by Jesus to paint a picture of one who is starving, one who is desperate, One who is starving and in desperation uses every ounce of his or her resources and energy in the pursuit of finding food and drink. That's what he's saying. Happy are those who hunger and thirst. That word hunger means, mean literally means starving, desperate for your next meal. Here. In verse 6, as well as all the Beatitudes, Jesus is preaching extreme radicalism. Don't you like to hear radical preaching sometimes? I mean, I mean, I mean, it's all right to hear status quo stuff. It's all right. But but don't you just love sometimes when when you hear radical preaching from the word, something that just kind of knocks you off your socks? Not. Radical preaching. That's what Jesus is doing. He's not just quoting people. He's not preaching easy believism. He's preaching a word that's going to cause for some serious thought and some serious effort. Jesus is not just skimming the surface here. I mean, he's he's not trying to placate the crowd. He's preaching a radical message. Radicalness in terms of being sold out to live for him. He's not talking about, as Kyle Eidemann, Pastor Stevenson's Pickett, brought out in his book, uh, A Fan of Followers. He's not talking about fans. He's not talking about, about, about fanfare. He's talking about people who are seriously following him. People who make the sacrifice and the commitment to follow him, even though the pressure is mounted against them not to follow him. The intensity of of this radicalism, of hungering and thirsting, this expression of radicalism is difficult for many to grasp in our culture, the culture of plenty. It's hard for us to grasp what Jesus is saying because of all the McDonald's we have and all the Burger Kings we have and all the Walmarts we have and all the Publix we have and all the checkers we have and all the Fred Markets and Buddy Fredison and all the Golden Correct. It's hard. In our culture of plenty, when 
when we want to drink, we open the refrigerator or we stop at our favorite store and we satisfy our thirst with a Coke, a Pepsi, a Big Gulp, or whatever other beverage we want. When we experience the slightest inkling of hunger, that means we're really not hungry. We just, you know, would like to eat. When we uh, experience the slightest inkling of hunger, uh, all we have to do is go to the refrigerator or to the grocery store or to the restaurant or to our favorite fast food establishment, select our choice of food and indulge ourselves. But in the days of Jesus, when he was preaching, The expression of hunger and thirst was vivid in the minds of the people because multitudes of them lived with the constant threat of starvation and dehydration. None of this, you know, just go to the refrigerator and you got your ice maker and fresh water and bottles of water, bottles of water stacked up. None of that. In Jesus' day, when he talked about hungering and thirsting, the people knew exactly what he meant. Famines in that part of, of the country, uh, world, were not abnormal occurrences. Famine, famines such as the one Joseph faced in Egypt, you know, in Genesis 39, and, and, and Pharaoh had the dream, and, and Joseph interpreted the dream and told him the store famine was coming and to store up for seven years. And that dream and that interpretation led to Joseph's God's plan being implemented in Joseph's life, and he became the number two man of, to Pharaoh and, and, and began to, to devil out the food and, and his family and Egypt and the surrounding countries were spared from starvation. Starvation was real. Back in 2016, when our church mission team traveled to Haiti, we saw firsthand people who were literally hungering and thirsting for food and water, many not knowing where their next meal was coming from. Many happy just to have a piece of bread, beans, rice, juice from the beans, and a bag of water. Hunger and thirsting for many people is real. In many African nations, hunger and thirsting is real. So once we remove our Western veil, we can better understand what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Jesus says you got to be starving for it. You got to be desperate for this thing. Righteousness. So it is in Matthew 5 and 6. Jesus is not painting a comfortable picture. Jesus is far from recommending a laid back, relaxed, easy going desire for spiritual nourishment. He's not talking about come and get it if you want it. If you feel like it, go and get it. If you don't, just leave it alone. It'll be there later. No, he's advocating a starvation for righteousness, a desperate hunger to confirm our lives to the will of God. Jesus says you got to be hungry for it. Have you heard football players and basketball 
players after losing a game. I've heard them say, uh, the announcer says, well, what happened? And, and they will say, we just were not hungry enough. If you heard that, they said, we, we, if we would have been hungry, we would have played hard. If we would have been hungry, we would have put forth a greater effort. If we would have been hungrier, we would have sweated more in an effort to win this game. We were not hungry enough. Good hope. Are we hungry enough? Or have we become comfortable with the McDonald's and the Burger Kings, and all of the ease and comfort that comes with our picking and choosing what we want to partake of in terms of God's righteousness. The essence of Matthew 5 and 6 is captured in poetic fashion by David. He was a king, a warrior, and a man's after God's, man after God's own heart. In Psalm 42, and one, David uh, pinned his, his hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. David wrote, as the deer pants. Ah, I, I looked up there. I wanted, to, I wanted to know what that word pant meant. I, want, I wanted to see some synonym. As the deer cries for. As the deer longs for. As the deer expresses its deepest desire is heartfelt passion for the water. David says, so pants, so cries, so longs my soul for you, oh God. David says, I've got to have it. I got houses, I got Land, I got wives, I got money, I got riches, I got power, I've got prominence, I've got prestige, but I've got to have God. Is that where we are? We got our jobs, we, we got our families, we, we have our livelihood, but are we panting? Do we have to have God? Then again, in Psalm 63 and 1, David wrote, Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I will seek you. Get this, David says, my soul thirsts for you. That means David says, I have an unquenchable thirst for you. He said, my flesh faints for you. An insatiable appetite for God. As in a dry and weary land. David says, it's dry. I've got to have God. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. David longed to live a righteous life in the sight of God. He wanted to live holy and please God in every dimension of his life, his leadership, and his legacy. As a result, David was satisfied. He wrote of his satisfaction in the 23rd Psalm. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm, I'm satisfied. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I am satisfied with God in my life. 
not worried about what I have. I'm not worried about what I don't have. The Lord is my shepherd. He says, I shall not want that. That, my brothers and sisters, that's satisfaction. That's satisfaction guaranteed. You want satisfaction? Let the Lord be your shepherd. Uh, you, you, you want to have joy. Let the Lord be your shepherd. You want to have satisfaction. The Lord needs to be your shepherd. David says, in reference to his satisfaction, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David said, I'm satisfied. Because as long as I'm living for God, God will take care of my enemies. He took care of Saul. He took care of Goliath. He took care of the Philistines. He said, you anoint my head with oil. Don't miss that. He said, David said, my cup runs over. He said, I'm satisfied. Then he said in verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. That's happiness. That's joy. That's satisfaction. That's a result of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The question to us as well as to millions of others today is are we hungering and thirsting for righteousness. This sounds good. It, it preaches good. It makes good preaching material. Are we hungering and thirsting? Will we, or will we walk out of the door as though we have not been with God? 